I'm Peter Jones, and welcome to The Foyne Jones Show. This podcast will be combining personality, passion, and our love of football, alongside industry and recruitment news. Our amazing guests will share their personal stories and also explain what they get up to when they're not at work. Okay, so welcome to episode 12 of the Foyne Jones Show. I'm going to start this episode with a joke. I hope everyone's ready. I hope you're ready, listeners. What do you get, boys and girls, if you cross a born and bred Louisian, a DFL and a beautiful kitchen showroom? Anyone know, Callum? Do you know? Episode 12 of the Foyne and Jones Show. Here we are. We are in Lewis. We've walked from Foyne and Jones Towers down Cliff High Street to a beautiful showroom. Dougal Alexander Fleming, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's been really good, good, to, good to get you on. This is a showroom which is dear to my family's heart. Um, I have to pull my wife away from the window at weekends. She's, uh, she's probably there up there now. You know, she's probably up there now. I think she's coming to see you Saturday. You're a brand and a business which is firmly part of Louisian life and Louisian culture. And Louisian born and bred yourself, sir. That I am, yes. So we'll, so we'll start the show just by kind of bringing, bringing to life your personality because most of the designer, the people listening to the show will have a KBB angle to them. So if they are design-led or they're from the world of design, they're going to see the awards that this business and the show has been nominated for, the awards you've won. But I think what I love to do in my podcast is bring personalities to life. So let's just take five, five or five minutes, ten minutes, Dougal, talking about who you are, your background, your personality, a little bit of what you do away from work as well as inside work, and let's get some of those passions and quirky interests to life, sir. Okay, you want me warts and all? Warts and all, mate. This is like this is Not like bad. uncut. Okay. <laughs> Dougal okay. Fleming, uncut. Uh, yeah. So it's a. A pleasure to be on episode 12, so thank you very much for that. Um, Yeah, so I was born on South Street, which is less than 100 metres from this very showroom. Um, It was a home birth for the 1980s, which was rare enough, I think. Um, I must confess, Dougal, I was a few doors down at the fish and chip bar on Monday evening, mate, so uh, I know it very well. You're very local. I mean, you are 30 seconds away. 20 yeah, seconds it's, away. It's, it's 30 second walk. Yeah, it's hallowed ground. Um, in the old Union Masters of Flint building, which uh, is a special space. And, and uh, yeah, so uh, obviously my father, uh, Alistair, started making kitchens even before he, he started up what was then known as Woodworks of Lewis. And our first showroom was the old fire station, mm. the other side of the... The chapel. Um, yes, I know. And, uh, and then we, we were in the end of the road on number one Mauling Street for 25 years. Yeah. That's where I got to know you, number yeah. one Mauling Street. Yeah, That's so we've been on the high street for 36 years and we've probably moved a combination, three times in a combination of about 150 yards throughout that time, but gradually scaling up and up. So uh, it's a real honour to be in this current showroom. And you know it's, it's obviously an, an architecturally significant building, which uh, has taken us, you know, it would taken Alistair particularly years of really kind of considered and hard work to get here. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a, a chance for us to display what we currently do, and and yeah, up our up our game, up our offering to the world. And it's we talk, we talk about the location because it's it's a prime Lewis location. 
You know, yeah. you are you, you're in a you're in a 95% pedestrian area. Yeah. You're you're on the main main walk from Harvey's Brewery where where everyone will come. Mm. Um, you're probably as well known as Bills in terms of like when people are giving directions. It's it's there and there. What well, do you think so? <laughs> well, well, you know, you, I think so, I think so in terms yeah. of Lewis because if I'm saying you know if you if you've got to Alistair Fleming, you've gone too far. <laughs> you know, you, you've got to turn back and you know yeah. and and it, and it works really well. Where well. we were before, we weren't on the pedestrianised area. Mm. So what the reason why Cliff High Street's so important? Important is because it's the only area of Lewis that has been uh, assigned as pedestrianised and mm. what that means is that people walk in the middle of the road mm. there are nice wide pavements and it's a really nice vibe down this yeah. side of the, of the town so Lewis is a historic sort of pre-medieval town is part of the cattle drive from Winchester to Eastbourne it would have been a vital location as you hit the river the ooze and you start the downs up and over the Mount Caburn to Glyndebourne which is a you know, it's a really kind of pivotal part of the cattle drive, and that's why Lewis as a settlement sort of came about. And Cliff High Street being the, or Cliff was a, was a village in its own right, the other side of the, the bridge, mm. and there wasn't a bridge, obviously. So mm. uh, it's always sort of been Sounds a bastion. Sounds like South London. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, why would you go down? Yeah, there? why would you cross the river? No one goes south of the river. But the, the kind of legacy of that is that Cliff High Street and beyond has become a bastion of independent shops. Yeah. You know, it's quite fiercely independent. Lewis, as a, as a town, is kind of known for that, but actually the more and more uh, big-name brands mm. and high street shops are coming into town. Slowly, if they haven't very slowly. slowly yeah. Yeah. But Cliff High Street remains largely, you know, antiques heaven. We've got... Harvey's and Bill's are the two biggest businesses mm. in town and have been for a long, long time. And so, yeah, we've, we've always been this neck of the woods and we're very happy this side of the... It's, it's, the a very, it's a very special town. Obviously, I'm biased. I'm saying that because I'm going to sort of bring to life my joke, which Callum got, but like, he would do. He's, he's relatively local. In West Sussex, though, do he's yeah. not like us. You know, we're <laughs> East Sussex. But, you know, but, 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 you know I, I would say I'm an adopted Louisiana. I'm not mm. really a DFL because I would say I'm down from Fulham, so I'm probably a, DF, <laughs> I'm probably a DFF. But yeah. we made Lewis our home 10 years ago when my eldest son, who's now 21, started secondary school. Um, it's been brilliant for us, you know. It's I've got my roots back into Fulham for my fix. You know, I'm not far away from my football yeah, yeah. team and my family, my wife's family. But as a community, I, I often describe it as the place that time forgot. You know, I, I can still walk into the doctors and people know my name. People mm. stop me in the street. It's not a, it's not a town, and it's not. This isn't a tourist podcast, by the way. But but it, no. but it's not a town which which, you know has its head down it's too busy for you I, sure. I, I felt welcomed yeah. I think what helped me and we spoke about this last week but what helped us as a family was the children were of sport club age so they were playing football mm. playing rugby playing cricket you're, you're immediately emerged into yeah. Lewis Bridgeview have won the cup you know Ring Rovers have got a game and you know at that yeah. young young age when they're playing cricket or football or rugby you, you kind of find friendship groups and that, that got us I think mm probably established more than more than others who, yeah, yeah. who've come down but the, for me when I look at when I look at Lewis and one of the publications that always comes to mind is Viva Lewis yeah and you have always been part of that publication you know you're, yeah. you're always there you're, and it is proudly independent it's a it's a town I think of creatives of media of, of entrepreneurial type spirit but in a very in a very sort of artisan way if that yeah, makes yeah, sense absolutely. From from you from you growing up, how, how have you seen the, the town evolve? Not not from a not from a kitchen, you know, furniture sure. perspective, but just from a from your perspective, from Matt, char, mm. boy boy to man. Uh, that's a good question. I mean, it, Lewis is the centre of my cosmos, 
It says that in the means. shop up there, <laughs> doesn't it? You know the shop, I mean, it does. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a special place, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, there, there's been so many incredible thinkers, uh, you know, from a literate, literacy uh, and artistry perspective. It has a, a very unusual resonation to it. It's a really unusual vibe that goes through the town. And I think um, Lewis has been famously sort of gentrified mm. within the 33 years of, of my life. Um, but it's always been the county town of, of East Sussex. Mm. Uh, it's sort of right on the doorstep of Brighton. It's got direct train links to London. So it's always been a sort of a special place. But I think, I think that actually, those two reasons are why, we're, why, why we chose it yeah. as home. You know, and, they're two very valid reasons, aren't they? You know, the, the notion of, of down from London, it, there is an element of, of derogatory kind of teasing about it. Mm. But actually, the town is what it is because enlightened, interesting people from London come down to Lewis and like you've done, you've, bring your, you've brought your insight, you've brought your, you know, your zest for life, your entrepreneurial spirit, your children, and you've contributed to the tapestry of this town. This and is a good episode, dude. I like this. I'm liking this, we, Are you liking this? If we yeah, stood yeah. still as a town and mm. didn't invite and welcome people mm. like yourselves and, and Claire and, and Callum down, then you know, we would we would be standing still, and it would be a town at, that time had forgotten. Because I actually see it more as sort of, you know, in some degrees, like a hippie's retirement home. Yeah, lots yeah. of forward-thinking children there from is, the sixties and seventies. And, and I do agree with that. There, there, there is very there's elements of Lewis which I will see in Hampstead. I will see in Notting Hill. I will see in Camden. You know, I, I will see in the the more sort of bohemian areas yeah, of London. We've certainly got that. And and for example, Zoo Studios. What was going on there, Phoenix? Um, I had a boogie there once or twice at Zoo Studios. And you will never forget it to yeah. the day you die. It was like Moulin Rouge on our doorstep. <laughs> and there still are those sorts of yeah. parties that happen. And, you know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then, yeah. then you yeah. won't You won't invite us, won't you? Yeah, was, yeah. But you had to sort of be over 25, really, to go in. And it's actually where I where I um, first laid lips on My Fair Lady. Was really? It was a heart fire night at Zoo Studios after mm. one too many shots of love potion. I hope she's listening to the show. I hope she listens to this episode so we could get confirmation of, of her version of events. When I told <laughs> Mia that there was a podcast that involved kitchens and football, she couldn't quite believe it because yeah. three great <laughs> passions of my life are... are Football, kitchens, and podcasts, and yeah. probably not no, even in that order. That, that's why we created the Four and Jones show, Callum, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. boy, yeah. uh, and we've also got Claire Hillier Brook here, listeners. And Claire Hillier Brook, who's new to the Four and Jones team and already proven her value in week three, is it Claire? Yes. In week three. I mean, she is the, in her own words, the Alistair Fleming fan girl. She's running yeah. the fan club. Well, it's very few people, as I've mentioned in the LinkedIn tr- tr- uh, feed, very few people who can come in and recognise a mitred hinged cabinet from the outside. Um, I've, we've been in here a year now and I have, you know, that mm. showroom is my space. I'm, I welcome people in and talk to people about everything that we've done and ask them about their products and what their project mm. is and so on and so on. And a range of people have come in and not a single one has necessarily even known what I was talking about, even after showing them the inside of the mitred cabinet, let alone <laughs> spot the grain lipping around from the outside. So. Brilliant. Well, you obviously bring a lot of, of, of industry expertise from the KBB world with you, and and it's you know, and as I, as I explained, you know, from showing people around, I get a sense of that, and you clearly understand things on another level. So uh, yeah, it was a real pleasure to, to welcome you in Thank and continue you. to do so. Dougal, so we, we know we know your, your your fair lady is Mia. 
we, yeah. we now we know, we've now learnt so much more about Lewis and your passion for all things Louisian. We're going to come on to the football section later because this is a bit of a showstopper. We've got a player, we've got a manager, we've got a fan. He's already told me about all the goals he scored, Callum. I'm going <laughs> to get him to pick a couple to bring to life for the listeners. And as you know, the commentary on the wireless, as I call it still, or the radio, is always much more vivid than mm. when you can see it with your own eyes. So you've got mm. carte blanche to describe. <laughs> you've got carte blanche, mate. No one, right, no okay. one was there. But talk to me about your family. So there's a, you've got a couple of children, haven't you? I've got a couple of children, yeah. Uh, uh, Eden... Eden Alistair Fleming, named after the Eden Project and Hazard, uh, and named after my father Alistair, so yeah. And then I've got Lyra, a daughter, Lyra Beatrice Fleming, named after Philip Pullman's Dark Materials, but also the constellation that was right close to our, to our part of the world while she was ready to be born. So Fantastic. It was a full moon and the Lyra constellation was on our doorstep and that was all the confirmation that Mia needed to choose that name. Eden Hazard Alistair Fleming and Lyra <laughs> Beatrice Pullman Fleming. There you go, there you go. So, so, so you've got your young family, yeah. you've, you've got your passion for football, you've got, you've got a zest and energy for life which is brilliant. You're going to be a great guest to the show. Thank you very much. Foy Jones are coming to KBB Birmingham 2020. We're proud to be partnering designer and designer RT by bringing a multimedia platform to showcase your brand and products during the exhibition. We'll be offering a variety of video and podcast options to help you stand out from the crowd, sending your message to an audience of thousands. Fully branded, edited and produced, these bespoke packages will offer you the opportunity to tell your story in a way that's never been seen before. You can contact myself, Peter Jones, Callum Church or Claire Hillier-Brook for more details. We are Foy Jones, we're coming to KBB Birmingham, this is what we do. Dougal, what a great introduction to you as a person, your family and the beautiful town of Lewis. Um, the listeners will know this, uh, in my spare time, because most of my time seems to be hosting podcasts and doing media stuff now, but in my spare time I've got a very successful recruitment business and we specialise in the KBB sector and part of that has enabled me to get some brilliant and, and interesting and diverse guests onto the show. Mm. What I like them to do is to talk about their business and it's almost like a timeline, you know, the, the, the real CV, the journey of life, you know, so mm. where it started, the highs, the lows, all the things in between and where it is now. Um, can you take a few minutes, Dougal, just to tell us about Alistair Fleming? Sure. Well, I've sort of already alluded to it at the beginning there. Alistair Fleming, my father, started to design and make kitchens back in 1984. So he, he trained as a, as a woodworker and um, he actually spent some time in a monastery where he had really, really learnt about where? Wood and in Hayward Sea, where he'd really learnt about the sort of the solace that can be found in, in woodworking and, and in his own, uh, so I suppose, spiritual journey. And I think that really does, and that's something that quite private to him, I probably shouldn't mm. play on the podcast, but actually it's really important because it's something intangible about this business and about him and about where this comes from. And probably only he really knows, and we in the business feel it and mm. we feel it quite profoundly and there's a reason why it's still going as long as it has mm. done and there, there's an integrity to it so when he started making the premise then is the same now find the best materials you can make the best furniture that you can and fit it as well as you can with a vision of that longevity 
and to become part of that house. And it's not designed for 40 years time, it's designed for that person and that space at that time. And, and he is now one of the best people, certainly in the southeast of England, mm. and I would wager in the country, and therefore one of the best in the world, without being too much smoke up his ass, but uh, at doing that. I mean, he is loitering at the top of the stairs, isn't he? Is he really? Is no, he I'm, jo- I'm, jo- I'm joking, yeah. I'm joking, Dougal, I'm joking. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that has been a part of, that's been a part of our, of our story at the beginning, and very early on he had a workshop out in Hadlow Down, mm. near... Um, Near Buxted, right in the in the sort of Sussex countryside, yeah. and uh, and then John Bernard, who is our workshop manager and, and head cabinet maker, the two of them started working together thirty odd thirty something years ago, and that's been a partnership which remains to this day. And John is obviously in charge of making sure that every design that arrives in that workshop is made to exactly the same and higher standards if mm. we can get them. Uh, as, it, as ever has been the case and and that kind of it's a very special relationship actually and so Alistair then became more focused on the designs and, and the business and mm. the customer facing side of the business and and that has been really how we've grown from there so for a, for a good period of time during the 90s and early noughties we were a really manufacturing based business where we would you know do variations of shaker kitchen so in-frame panel doors and you know again using the best materials we could and constantly doing little tweaks and touches to make it as as good as we could but really using that same formula and adapting it to that person Mm. in that space um we would we had you know a a full workshop and 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 it was there was a lot of through through flow there since the crash of 2008 where it was a point where we were well we had the floods of 2000 so I've, this, seen the, I've seen the pictures. So this building mm. we're in right now would have it? been flooded by yeah. about a metre. Yeah. So we're, un, we're in the basement of this showroom. I've seen the horrific photos of what is now Waitrose yeah. underwater. Yeah. You know, the, and the people that I've spoke to, um, one of Henry's friends from mm. school, um, he was, his, his mum was heavily pregnant around here. I don't know where, but around here. And she was seen on the news coming down the, with the rescue teams coming down the, um, the ladder on the boat being yeah. taken off to the ambulance. Yeah. So, so we, we learned that. And, um, but what, what people said to me about those floods was how quick it happened. Mm. Like, like the actual speed from I'm just going shopping to... There's flood water it's, going it's down the road. coming up, yeah, you know. There was a perfect, perfect storm. Mm. Uh, you know, it was a big storm, big rains, mm. high tides and block drains yeah so all of those things combined to to breach the flood defenses which have since been uh, you know in reinforced mm. but yeah it's a, it's a profound moment i mean i was a school child at the time uh, at priory and remember getting a day off school yeah and there being flood waters and us all knocking around and seeing like oh you know let's go and have a paddle <laughs> in this sort of whatever it was toxic river water that had you know lifted up and but it profoundly affected everybody in the town. There was mm. no one who was unaffected by it. And yeah, so this building we're in, underwater. we're in a basement, it yeah. would have been totally underwater, be mm. below the flood level here, and the shop above us would have been about a metre under. Our shop at the end of the high street went under underwater by, by a metre. So let's, yeah. fa- let's fast forward. So, so we've, we've recovered from the flood, we're back yeah. on track, well, then, and so the then floods, boom. The floods meant that a lot, of people, a lot of people's houses got flooded and a lot of insurance money came through and a lot of people needed new kitchens. So there was the silver lining for Alistair Fleming is that we, 
you know, one of the busiest periods of our life. And we were, we were fitting a lot of kitchens around the town throughout that period. So you talk about that as a business development strategy. Uh, there, there's, no, there's no business plan, there's no creative, there's no creative route to market. Um, it's just, you know, a disaster presented itself, which left people in a situation where they, they have a need, mm. and you've serviced that need. Yeah, yeah, and so with that, the workshop was, the workshop was buzzing. Mm. And, um, and we, had, we had a lot of people in there. And then the crash of 2008 came. Shortly after, uh, shortly after Alistair was deciding whether to expand and where to expand and how. And, and in, his, in his prudence, he decided not to in 2007. Mm. And, and if he had of, if we had of, we probably wouldn't be here today. Because mm. even though we didn't, there was some very, very rocky times after that. And I think actually what has come out of that period is a, is a natural uh, aversion to great risk from himself, a, 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 an understanding that the markets can change, at, at the drop of a hat and they can be completely out of your control mm. and you know I've come in with blue sky thinking and blank canvas and where could we take this business and how can we do more of what we do and get better and all the rest of it and he is rightly very uh, hardened by reality we have mm. a backbone to this business based on on yeah. those times and and I have to be very sensitive to that and I'm learning from him with regard to I, that, I, I, can, I can add a little bit to that timeline I, I, I talk about this passage of play because I try and link football into everything I can do mm. but, but I talk about the passage of play between 2009 and 2011 which mm. is when it really hit me yeah. as, as the most darkest and difficult time I had personally and professionally mm. um, they're often linked I, yeah. I, yeah I realised they are mate yeah. I, I realised the, then that you know my business wasn't invincible I wasn't mm. invincible this success I'd had all the way up was, was vulnerable I was ridiculously exposed mm. you know I, I'd grown magnificently I had lots of regular income from large national companies I mean it was a it was like a wish list of dream clients that were all you know turning taps on and mm. when those taps were turned off and the, the, the economy stopped lending money and houses started yeah. stopped being built and materials weren't being sold and you know whoa well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to earn a living introducing talented staff into a business that's mm. on the news making widespread redundancies and closures. Yeah. You, you, you know, straight away you're thinking, wow. So yeah. I, I would say I've still got scars from that, clear, that yeah, period yeah. of time. Um, I learned more about myself and the people that are really there for you in the dark times than yeah. I ever did in the good times. And similar to, to, to your father, you know, I would say I, I have a much uh, more realistic aspiration of what's important now. And, mm. you know, you, you are more calculated and you're more humble because it's not, nothing's forever. And you're, you're never as good as you think you are either. Mm, you're, as, mm. you're as good as how hard you work. So I think that, that, that period of time was, was, was a challenge for me. Um, and it doesn't surprise me, but I, I admire the fact that even with your, your blue sky thinking and your creative ideas, there's, a, there's maybe a voice of reason or caution there yeah. because you need both, don't you? Well, yeah, and, 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 and the other side of that is, is for him, for Alastair, it's, it's always been about passion. Mm. What, what, is it, what does he love doing? And... You know, in those sorts of moments, you're right. You know, you, you do, you reassess. Do I want to be, do I want to be really busy, and do I want to be really wealthy? Do I want to open up showrooms all over the place and, and manage that, and, and that become your role, or do I want to manage every project and make sure it's as good as it can be? You know, and he he is fairly clear 
on why he's doing what he's doing. He's not interested in box shifting. Mm. That's why we continue to run a manufacturing facility which does it to the level to which we do. It's because he wants the autonomy to be able to design not just a cabinet at 475 or 473 mil. He wants to be able to choose the material which that's made mm. out of, the front of it, the back of it, the side of it, the you know, the that which is stuck well, on some it. of it's what you showed myself and Callum or Callum and I you know last only this week actually when mm. he was like you showed me the front but when you pull it this is what's going to be inside mm. and I'm like wow you know that's show stopping just it's in exciting. terms of what it is it's exciting and and that's why we have two in, two incredibly skilled full-time designers mm. and and they really love what they do and they love what they do because they've got a free hand you know I've met from going out into the industry lots of people in in the KBB world, lots of designers who enjoy what they do. They enjoy the client communication. They enjoy, you know, f making their space a home. And and it is it's a wonderful job to, to do. It's a wonderful thing because, you know, you really are taking some a space and bringing meaning and sense mm. to it. And and when I, you know, start to pry into that about what that means. If you're a retailer, you're selling other people's kitchens. And you're selling whatever mm. whatever brand you've got, and and some of them will give you a quite a high level of, of degree of bespoke to it, but none will give you as much as if you have a workshop making exactly what you design. Mm. So it's an in, there is almost three brackets to the industry: your sort of your Howdens, your mm. your Harvey Jones, and your and your plain English or whoever mm. else it might be. And and in each of those brackets, there are characteristics of those industries and. Mm. It is not an easy thing to be a small, independent, totally bespoke manufacturer no. of kitchens and furniture. No, I mean I don't. It's an it's an unenviable task, with no. a, but with yeah. with amazing rewards. I mean, we we recruit and work with all of those genres there. So you know, mm. we we can we work heavily with trade led businesses. We work in that mid range, you know, mm. and we work with the luxury and the true bespoke. And and there are different pressure points when when the people side comes into it. You know the. The designer here has to work differently to the designer there, and they have to think differently. Mm. It doesn't make them any less talented. Yeah. No, it just means it means they approach it in a different way. Right. They all well, have value at every level. Oh, without a doubt, value it's, it, it, it's a multi-million pound industry, and you know, it, you know, and if, and if you look now with the, the the way TV is and and the way media is, the the, the kitchen is you know staying in trendy. Kitchen mm. kitchen is the, the centre of the home, but but being able to realise what that means for for Claire and her family, for Callum mm. and his family, for mm. for me and my family as you probably will be finding out soon if mm. I can't if I can't sort of steer my wife in a different direction <laughs> but but no, no but being, being serious for one second it, it is being able to realize that and look at where your where your niche is and what you offer mm. does give you a reputation and and there's there's a there, there's sort of a for me there there is a there's a conversation that goes around this brand and it's and it's presence in the local area but you're not just I mean you're taking projects further than just East Sussex aren't you oh yeah yeah, no, yeah. I mean, we'll take a project from anywhere if the, if the client's right I mean there are the, so the notion of bespoke is often overused and watered down mm. but for us it, it means it means uh, you know a fairly clear list of things and that is essentially it's, it's the person the client mm. who are they what are they looking to achieve and and what is their space what is their space telling us and, and then it's mixing that with our expertise. So we do this all the time every day and we have a level of expertise around how do we find the best path forward through that. And, and then it's about our imagination. Allowing the designers the space to have 
an imagination around what is possible here. Mm. And that is supported by our knowledge of materials. So we've got that back area, mm. which is just full of materials that, you know, e even Claire, who's well, in, well involved in the industry, may not know, may not have seen before. And we do that through going to God, shows God, and I've got to tell you a secret. Callum was like, I mean, Callum said to me on the walk out of here, he went, Dougal was brilliant. He said, those, those products, that, that, what he was talking about was amazing. I've got no idea what some of them were, he said, but like, wow, they mm. look good. And you actually, know? do you know what? We, we don't actually know what use <laughs> some of them might have yet. Yeah but they're there to inspire clients. They're also there to show clients what they might not like. Mm. I mean, we have this sort of horrible recycled orange plastic bubble material, which I would be shocked if it ever ended up on a, on a project. Yeah. But it's there to show me Did what I'll tell my you, I've got a bright orange make fridge. I mean, don't get me wrong, we've got, <laughs> orange is a great color, <laughs> the color of my beard. But, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, it's about understanding no, what you it. do and don't I like. And so those that knowledge of materials is key, and, and then it's obviously all regulated by the client I've got, budget. I've got a question I've got to ask you, which which relates to budget, and it relates to the customer the customer journey. When do you or do you does your designer ever need to stop becoming a designer and become a closer? You know, does there become a point when you know you're focusing on the the the, the sale and not the design? What's that? Because there's a balance, isn't there? Between, Absolutely. Because because I, I have this conversation a lot, you know. Do, do we want as a showroom, as a business, as a brand, you know, a pile of award-winning designs or, you know, a portfolio of completed projects and happy customers? Is that, mm. how do you deal with that, that, Certainly that for balance? Us, for us, the latter. I mean, yeah. we, we do well, everyone wants the latter, but how do you yeah. get, make sure you don't yeah. end up here to there? Yeah. Um, it's a good question. I mean, it, it, are the, the role of a designer, as the, as the loose term, is a really difficult one. One, you have to be you have to be good at sales, you know, because ultimately people buy from people. That old tried and tested cliche, which is as true today as ever. And there has to be a rapport. So you mm. build that rapport by listening and intuiting. And the better you listen, the better you intuit, the more likely they are to believe you and trust you. It's all about mm. building trust. So that's one of the roles the designer has to be. And they have to be good at then designing. You know, they have to basically, I mean, we basically have artists. These guys upstairs, they are artists. It is quite incredible the levels they go to, the, the, the depths, the, you know, the challenges mm. that they overcome to get it right, to make sure that the rails, the posts mm. all match up and that the proportions are sound. I don't even notice some of the differences they do. Our clients certainly won't notice, but they will, and it's so yeah. important. It's design first, isn't it? It's it, it is really mm. now, and, and that is quite an inspiring place to be because it, it means that there's this buzz around everything we do. Um, and then they project managers. Mm. So they then have to, you know, they see that project through to the end. So it's a really complex range of skills that we're asking to, and, and we, the rest of the team, support them in, in any way that, that we can to make sure that the whole journey and the whole process is as smooth as ever. And that's one of the things that I'm amazed, still amazed, the consistency of quality that we produce is what I love almost most about my job and about mm. what I'm learning at the whole time. How do you consistently finish projects to such a high quality? Mm. Exactly. So, so, yeah. so, 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 so then, you, you've got to have 
35k, you know, to, to kind of be, be be in this market is for a full yeah. kitchen project. For a full for a full experience. Now we do do we do every other room of the house. We yeah. do every other piece of furniture that that mm. needs to be fitted to the to the walls and indeed freestanding pieces. But mm. but as a notion of to get the full Alistair Fleming experience, that's the kind of start of it. And I then, like that the Alistair Fleming experience. Well, I don't. It's probably even a, a cringy <laughs> phrase. That, but uh, and then typically now I would say we are probably in around. Forty-five thousand pound mark, mm. and and often going to sixty thousand pounds for an island that, you know, bells and whistles, mm. sings and dances, and whatever downdraft extractor in the middle of you know mm. holding the island so on. And, and with that level of investment comes a huge level of expectation. Mm. You know, so so the so the customer demand, customer demands are a challenge, and and. Well, and do you I know what? They're, they're not actually. Our customers are, are really they're, they're intelligent people who. Are discerning and they and they uh, and but they're not demanding people. So, so they're not unrealistic with their demands. Not at all. No, no I mean I, I I love our customers. I mean, they're really I, mean nice I, I, people. I mean I might change that because I might want a sixty thousand pound Alistair Fleming experience for for, for for less than what for for down here. So I might yeah. be the challenge. But but no, I, I do I do understand what you mean, and and I think that that's part of the success of this business is that warmth you have towards your customer mm. and towards that experience. You know, you want them to ha have the, the, the and it, I don't think it is cheesy, the experience, because ultimately mm. that's what they're going to share with their friends. That's what they're going to share with their family. That's, you know, you, it's a sizable amount of money for anyone. You know, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a significant amount of we money. Never, we still never take it lightly, no. partly because very few people in the business could even begin <laughs> to imagine affording a, a kitchen of that scale. So, mm. you know, people entrust us with their spaces and we take that very seriously. And, and it, it's a, it is an honour mm. and it is, it, and ultimately what happens is we start to create furniture that will be heritage furniture of the future. They become part of these buildings and working with Sussex Heritage Trust, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking inside. I mean, I grew up in a, you know, in a sort of, early 17th century mm. farmhouse you know and the walls are just ringing with history mm. you know like there are timber beams like we have down in this basement that are from the Spanish Armada salvaged timber from the sea that have been then used in the farmhouse built like I grew up 13 years old start whacking my head yeah. on it and mm. there's, a, there's a real resonance like I never take for granted mm. that privilege to, to, to sort of in and around, you know, if the, if the walls could talk, you know, that, that do, old do, piece do, of furniture I, I, could I, I, I could listen to you for hours on this. <laughs> Sorry, I, I've got to, no, 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 listen, carry, carry on because this is what's good. <laughs> and I think what's going to be brilliant with this podcast, this is one of the examples where having a videographer like Canon Church is so good because we can actually use some of the videos and put them on our social media profiles and LinkedIn mm. so people can actually see this car this cab, cab the cabinets we're talking about the cabinetry that the, the yeah, we, they can see what this showroom's all about because yeah. i do want to talk about the showroom here and now because yeah. this has even got some history because i knew it as a pet shop Dougal. yeah and you told me a story about a goldfish yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so share, share the goldfish story with us so uh one of our designers ollie clark i did know this was a pet a shop claire I'm, i mean she don't believe me she don't believe anything i say yeah, but no, it was only yeah. a, it was a you know four years ago it was a pet shop see maybe less we'll make it up <laughs> Um, I knew it was a pet shop. You could come in and see see rare, rare and exotic birds caged. Look, that, that was one of my main notes for this pet, look, pet yeah. shop. See exactly. Well, so the pet shop was an in, you know an important part of every single child's experience of this town. You know, you could walk up and down the high street and roll into this big beautiful building and see, you know, kittens and puppies as well as fish and 
iguanas and all sorts of things which by today's standards they're sort of less less okay i think you know to have a caged parrot it, you, you, there would be outrage i think if you had that anyway mm. um there's a man that walks around lewis with a parrot on his shoulder i've seen him yeah yeah and Who's the hawk man you see the hawk man oh, the, yeah. yeah 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 i have seen him actually yeah. and then there's a pigeon man who stands yeah. on the cliff bridge with the, <laughs> yeah so we're, we're digressing sorry the pet shop so the so ollie ollie bought a Goldfish for his children. It's a great story. something. Something like twenty years ago. How can goldfish um, live twenty years? Well, exactly. Where well, care, love, <laughs> yeah. and nurture, uh, and and the cat would sort of s- s- sit at the goldfish bowl, just sort of staring at it as though it was its like yeah. TV. And, and there was a couple of occasions where they had to sort of draw back a whopping paw yeah. as it entered the bowl. But uh, it did actually die a couple of months ago. Oh. But it was still alive when we moved in, so it was kind of like a passing over of the guard, I think. And so, yeah, from from picture, um, <coughs> complete contrast to, to our last couple of goldfish. We had them in our in our place in Fulham, and uh, my oldest boy Harry named one Freddie Lindberg, yeah. Freddie, and Quality. one Jimmy Jimmy Inamoto. Because Jimmy Inamoto just signed for Fulham. Um, Freddie and Jimmy. Um, Freddie, Freddie had a very short life. He, he made a mad duck, uh, jump for freedom and um, scored some great goals along the way. Yeah, he? <laughs> he did. Yeah, did a bit of modelling. Do you know what I mean? And uh, and Jimmy, I think, lasted maybe five or six months. And um, you know, went to the great goals. Probably, probably about Inamoto's actual. Length he didn't do that. Look, he didn't play that much. He probably spent more time on the pitch than he did at Fulham. But but listen, the pet shop story is really good. All right? and it's something which is brilliant. Um, <coughs> Gonna, I'm gonna, this is from the heart, and, and there's no right or wrong answer. It's something that's just come into my head. Um, Harry, my oldest son, spent a lot of time prior to going to Barcelona and coming back, and he's working somewhere else now, working with me. All right, mm. so, so that father and son chemistry could be mm. spectacularly brilliant or spectacularly bad. You'd agree with that, Callum, wouldn't you? Yeah, <laughs> Callum, Callum, Callum you would saw say, that firsthand. Yeah, you? no, you'd, you'd say at times it was exceptional, and he would be. It was, it was there, and other times it was. But he was young, you know. So he was 18, 19. There. Uh, mm. Have you found working, following your father's footsteps, or being the succession, which you said to me last week? It's a good question, and it is not without its challenges. Mm. And I am a strong character. You know, I, I can regulate my thoughts and words but will often come from a from a passionate place mm. by comparison my father is a, is a very considered man and he's a very uh, you know composed man and in actual fact it's it's a lot easier to work for him than it is I think probably for him to have me work for yeah. him if you know what I mean yeah. it's easier for me I do have to bite my lip I do have to mm. be patient things won't happen at the speed at which I might want them to happen but there's a very good reason for that mm. and that reason is this is his business and he is the you know he's the one who, who, who knows he's got the sharp instincts so I'm I'm very respectful of him and I love him dearly mm. you know we are father and son and business partners and gradually He's entrusting me with more responsibility, and I'm just taking each bit, mm. you know, as gladly as I can, and, and working as hard as I can to make sure that I I repay that. And so mm. he put me onto a course, a successor training course, which was a year-long thing to. That's what you told me about. That's, that's, why, why, that's why I'm going to bring him. Really powerful stuff. And actually, Phil Ashford, who you had in the last episode, yeah? he works for that same organisation, mm. the MD Hub. So I met Phil through those those channels and. 
Wonderful, wonderful. Um, it turns out that the whole world knows Phil. Yeah, I've had people yeah. stopping me in the car park coming up to me. So I didn't know you knew Phil. You we've know got Phil, we've yeah. got a mutual friend. I'm like, who? Oh, like, what? Well, you know, there's there's, there's, yeah. there's a lovely lady. I talk to her every morning. She loves my. She, she speaks to my puppy when I bring him in. And, and like, I speak to her every day. Like, you know, which and like, she's like, like, she was just evangelical over the fact that he'd been upstairs and not. And I'm like. Yeah, but what, what a popular personality. What a lovely man. Well, the, and the reason for it is that he has found the calling. <coughs> and I think actually mm. not, not as many people as you might think have a calling in life. Mm. Why are you on earth? What, what difference are you making? You know, be the change you want to see in the world. And Phil Ashford is doing that. Mm. And there are various other people around who I could name who are doing I, I like, that. I like, I like the seamless link, uh, Mr. Flevin, back to the other episode. Episode well. 11 of Yeah, we go. <laughs> thank, thank you very much. So, Dougal, um, what a brilliant, brilliant section just on everything and anything about Alistair Fleming. These two, Claire, Claire and Callum have been like infatuated with that. I mean, <laughs> Callum's been nodding away, Claire's been smiling. You, you've got your personality into it. You've asked a million dollar question what it's like working with your old man because that's that's a challenge and I know that from my from, from my son's view on it. He would mm. he would probably echo a lot of the things you say. No, it's not um, no it isn't, is it? And I skillfully dropped my pen there. Um, but I, I love the, you know, it's the client first, we use our expertise, we use our imagination, you're building relationships with brilliant design, and then you're holding their hand through good project management. That's what you do. Mm. If you described yourself, would you say you are made in Britain, made in the UK, or made in Sussex? Designed and made in Sussex. Designed and made so, in Sussex. Sussex yeah. by the sea. It's good old Sussex by the sea. Sussex by the sea. And if form. we spin that as to you as a human being, I would certainly consider myself a European, mm. and Louisian first, then European. Um, I, potentially, but in actual fact, um, you know, I speak three European languages: French, Spanish, and Italian. Oh. Um, yeah, and I spent a lot of a lot of really glorious years working hard at that as well. Mm. And it's a shame I don't get to use it as much, probably even less now that we've closed the borders and pulled up the drawbridge. If I, if I bring my yeah. oldest round, mate, he can speak Andalusia and you can speak Spanish, you can have a little chat. Yeah, right. I've never got, never got down Andalusia, it's a really yeah. tough accent, but I did spend some time in Barcelona, uh, you know, mm. sort of uh, unapologetically speaking Spanish to the Catalonians. Oh, Harry, Harry was even worse, so, so you know, he was working there. So. Um, he, he doesn't just speak Spanish, he speaks Andalusian Spanish. Mm. So, you know, he speaks the like accent, the peasant yeah. Spanish from down there. Yeah, so, so heavily accented. Um, he's strawberry blonde. You know, he couldn't look any more like non-Spanish if he tried. Yeah. But he speaks the dialect really well. But Probably a bit like Rakitic by now. Uh, a little bit like yeah, I mean, So my, my mother has, has family from Hamburg. My father had family from France. Mm. And, and obviously... With a name like Dougal Alexander Fleming, there's more than a wee bit Scotty in me as well. Yeah. So, you know, the, I, I, I see that the tapestry of Europe enriches this country to such a large extent that, yes, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a proud Englishman, but I'm, I'm first and foremost a, 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 a citizen of the world, let alone just Europe, because actually it goes much further than D that. Dougal, Dougal Alexander Fleming, Louisian, European, <laughs> speaker of three languages... Uh, purveyor of beautiful kitchens that was an absolute brilliant section thank you on the 19th of April 2020 I will be getting my trainers on and running 42 kilometres for Chestnut Tree House so why Chestnut Tree House? before recording this podcast myself and Peter were lucky enough to have a tour of the house and the work they do there is nothing short of incredible I found it amazing how something so heartbreaking could be turned into something so positive. 
It doesn't seem like a hospice at all. It feels like a beautiful home. So please help us raise funds for this awesome cause at justgiving.com forward slash Jones 2020 We are Foyne Jones, supporting Chestnut Tree House for the now. So there's becoming a trend, Callum, in the Foyne Jones show where people are bringing props, they're bringing guests. We had Danny and his Speedos, we had Clara and Boris the Lizard. Um, Dougal Fleming has gone one step further because he's been looking forward to the football section. He said that, you know, a podcast about kitchens and football, I'm in. You know, no idea who was hosting it, no idea, didn't care, I'm coming in, I'm on. Um, but we've we called this the player manager because we've got a football career and a managerial career that we're going to talk about. But I've got to share this with everyone. The man has brought out of a couple of carrier bags, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14... 19 or 20 different football kits, which range from Leeds to Chile to three Leeds United shirts, a Man U kit, the famous Beckham England kit. We've got Florentina, who's this one? AS Roma. Roma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. AS Roma, we've got, we've got a couple of Barca shirts and a Prince Harry basketball kit. Yeah, Prince Detroit. Uh, yeah, so it's, I mean, it's one of my. There's something you're proud of, your shirt. One of my proudest collections, yeah. So I've spent a lot of time travelling around, um, living in various different small mountainous communities trying to integrate and learn as, as you do as you, as do, you do yeah, yeah. so you, you, you don't want to learn, you don't want to learn language from a book or babble do you you, you want to go and integrate i tried and i couldn't yeah yeah i was yeah. i was brought I, the first game i went to was brighton hole 4-1 brighton and then and then i became a uh, uh, a man united fan because of paul parker in the old lace-up kit of 94. do, do you know where he began his career I'd let me let me guess. Let me guess. Was it uh, West London somewhere? Oh, yeah, spiritual home of football. Craven Cottage, mate. Craven Cottage. In the what, what I love is, no matter how hard people try, I will always get a Fulham link yeah. into every single episode. Somehow, it's going well, to happen. Well, let's do the Bobby Zamora thing later, shall we? Oh, yes, we can. <laughs> Bobby. Do you, do you know, we, we actually, Claire, we, I came to see Dougal a couple of Fridays ago and I was gone a long time. We spent most of that time talking about the Fulham's Euro, 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 European tour and going through literally every player who played in that tournament. Sultan Gira, the name that's often overlooked. The, 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 the famous Sultan Gira, he comes from Hungary. I mean, I could go yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. He's, he scores with his left, he scores with his right. That boy, Clint Dempsey, makes drop a look shot. I mean, I, I keep going. <laughs> I, I can keep going. You know, I don't stop. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. stop. But this love of football, this passion for football, um, I began it, I, I, I believe it began many, many years ago for Kingston Kestrels. Is that right? It was the first club I played for, yeah. So I, I was a uh, four or five-year-old, well, started with my brother, seven years older than me. Before I could walk, I was being swung in front of a ball. In goal? <laughs> he was a goalkeeper. I was, I was he? So so he my brother was a goalkeeper who did, did at one stage play for Lewis. Um, but my brother's a very good footballer, and, and whenever I see him in full flow, the way he plays is, to me, what football mm. should look like. You know, he's got a wand of a left foot, um, <clears throat> very composed, very generous player, will give and go all the time. And, um, and so, yeah, when I first started playing, I went to Kingston Kestrels, just down the road, local village, and... Um, I, I, I think most listeners would have heard of Kings and Kestrels, right? They're always on the Sky Sports ticker. Yeah, yeah, of course they are. Exactly. If anyone's, uh, yeah, if anyone's got a, a link to the Sussex Sunday League now, you'll see that Kingston, Kingston Village are in the Brighton Sunday Premier League. And um, this is your team now, isn't it? This is my team now. So yeah, we're not we're not having the best season we've ever had, but we but we are mixing it with some very good teams, um, and we've got some very talented players on our side. So it's it's been a long. 
I'm sort of coming more or less to the end of my 11-a-side career at 33, having had no no proper physio done on my body in all that time. I'm you know I'm starting to hurt in ways I've never hurt before, but I still just love the game and uh, I love it on a you know from watching it at the, at the highest end of football, but mm. but really for me it's always been playing it. You know there's nothing like the feeling of exhausted lungs and, uh, and you know a couple of balls in the back of the net and playing with your mates and you know, and all things that you may be wondering about, considering about, they just cross, they just disappear. Well, when you cross the white line, they've gone, haven't they? I mean, I mean, you know, I think the, I think the, the player manager role, you know, it, it's something from days gone by. You know, Ray Lewington was a <laughs> very famous player manager of Fulham, and yeah. you know, you, you've seen, you've seen Vincent Company try and kind of foul in Anderlecht now mm. as a player manager. Mm. It's more um, difficult now, I think. It's, it's you know. very difficult now, but it was very difficult back then. You know, I yeah. think it was a needs must. You know, you're you're the most experienced. You're kind of here. Um, Chris Coleman was sort of a, a recently retired player who become manager by default at Fulham, mm. and, and you know went on to reasonably good things as a manager. But 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 you, uh, I understand from. Your reports and the yeah, match yeah, reports yeah. and the local we press. We haven't got the team here. Yeah, you know, we haven't we, have, we haven't got recent witnesses. But you're you're you're, you're a number nine who plays like Zatan. Is that right? Uh, well, I, I often get. I've spent most of my time in, in, in midfield actually. Okay, um, so you're midfield probably as probably a, a sort of a number ten who who has got an engine back and forth. So I do love running around and and you know midfield is probably a little bit too restrictive. So I, I like to get goals. I like to arrive into the box and. Um, unfortunately, if I'm being totally honest, I'm more of a Marouan Fellaini who, <laughs> who can easily get thrown up top at number nine to kind of win a knockdown and scrap one in. But mm. um, certainly I look at Zlatan and he's one of the greatest players that's ever played the game and capable of scoring the most extraordinary yeah. goals at every club he's been at. And so um, I'm not anywhere near that sort of level, but love to watch him play. But, but there, there was a presence of the charisma. I, I watched him play... Um, for Barcelona, uh, Malaga, mm. and I watched him. Pl- I watched him play, and you know, and that was in a that was in a team with Messi and Esther. You know, it was why a, would you buy a Ferrari and drive it like a Fiat? Uh, it was it was what a what a player, <laughs> what 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 a player. But yeah. but you know, we had a player at Fulham, Berbatov, for for a while that, yeah, that had a, that yeah, Dibitai, He, was, he had a Dibitai. lot of those mannerisms, you know, the time, the vision, the touch, and we used to sit there as fans going, "I'm the kind of dad, I'm you don't come here." We'd sit there going, why is he here? We don't actually care. I mean, this is just, just you know, he's here because of the Martin Yole connection. He's, mm. he's, he's, he's running games on his own and he'd do something in a match where you just go, wow. Mm. You know, and he sort of dragged the players around him to, you know, you go there, you're here. And, and almost subconsciously... Dimitar became was one of those, didn't he? That it, it, he, was, he was obviously the best player on the pitch whenever he was playing. By miles. But somehow he would always find a pocket of space. Yeah. And, he would, and, and the people digged him for not running too much. But he would always find a pocket of space, and you're probably right. For that reason, he's he's orchestrating. I, I remember, I remember at Arsenal away at the Emirates, and um, you know it was one of those crazy games when Fulham were like either either drawing three or winning, losing one. It was, it was a weird, weird old start of the season, and um, we just saved the penalty. You know, so yeah. there was a couple of minutes left. It was three two to Arsenal, and the, you know the, 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 it was a dodgy decision. But there's only there's all, obviously the ex Tottenham player is going to take it. So mm. you know the whole of the Emirates is apart from the little pocket of Fulham fans is really giving it to him, and the, the man's arrogance was a sheer joy to behold. He mm. he just walked slowly in his own in Dimitar's time, not anyone else's time. <laughs> you know, sort of put the ball down, took his step, told the ref he was ready. You know, to take the to to, to blow the whistle. Then just literally walked to the penalty spot, 
looked at the keeper, waited for the keeper to dive, <laughs> and just stroked it in. And you just go, that's just... Stubbed out his that cigarette. Is, that's, that's arrogance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Well, um, no, it's, it, it's uh, arrogance. Genius, like it, arrogance. I, I, think, I think arrogance is um, an overinflated level of self-confidence. Mm. So it's, it's, it's when you are deluded about your own grandeur or your ability. And I almost think that Dimitar Berbatov probably had a little bit of that, and, and Zlatan probably does as well. But actually, they do back it up with ability. So taking out the, mm. the sort of personal character of the man, the way they play the game in such a... Dimitar, in that languid style, was just a joy to watch. I mean, people might, might talk about my football career as I probably had the arrogance of Dimitar, but zero of the ability <laughs> and zero of the work rate. So it was... Uh, I don't know. I mean, but, but again... I, Is I that get, right? That's how you'd look... No, I, 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 I would say I was either playing as like a Tony Gow as a number four at the back. So mm. I'm a bit of a libero. You know, I'd mm. want to be stroking passes around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I'd play wherever I got in the team. You know, so I would be right back, right midfield. I'd go up front if I was needed. But if I could pick a position, I'd be at the anchor in midfield. The pivot. Yeah, as a kid, a kid, I want to be Euro. I want number nine or number 10, but yeah, yeah. there was always someone quicker, someone better, and someone... Well, no, I, don't, bit, you know. I mean, I now play the number nine role more because it just means that I'm... I, mean, I, I, got to, I got told you were a false nine. I'm, well, I'm more of a false nine, yeah, yeah, sort of a false nine or a ten, but I'd play that role more now because I can, you know, there's, there's talent around me who I can mm. bounce off and I've lost a half a yard and, and so on, but uh, I've always enjoyed just being involved in, in, in the game and in the team. There's such so a buzz about it. Though, it? Yeah. You, you're long, whatever level you play, you're a long time out of that dressing room. You know, mm. like whether it's whether it's kids Sunday football, whether mm. it's a Saturday game, whether it's a non-league or whatever. You know, wh when you stop playing, there's something missing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm not obviously quite there yet. And I, but I, what's great about Kingston is that we've got a, a wonderful bunch of of guys who who are really playing for the right reasons. And we don't always come up against people who are in a similar sort of level to us. But I would say to the lads, you know, the, the most important thing is that we conduct ourselves like gentlemen on the pitch. I love this. You know, that, that primary reason to play is that we, we talk to each other with respect, we talk to the referee with respect, and, and we talk to the opposition with respect. We mm. don't get involved in, in conflicts and, and fights on the pitch. And, and, and at Sunday league level, that's easier said than done sometimes, but uh, fundamentally... That's what the team buy into. And then, you know, the second most important thing is, is consistency and quality. So mm. it's a bit like what we do here. You know, it's trying to find that consistent level of quality. And whichever players are kind of highest up at that point are the ones who get played, uh, the ones who are consistently delivering a level of quality. So it's all well and good if sometimes you're great and sometimes you're, you're terrible. I don't know when to play you. I don't know where to play you. Mm. But if you're, if you're consistently sort of average then at least I know I can, I can Gary Neville you well, right back. I, I, you know? I can't remember who it was on TalkSport, but, but they said, you know, you, 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 need, you, need a, you need seven or eight number six and se seven or eight players. We get six or seven, seven out of six, 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 six or seven out of ten every game. Because mm. if you've got them, you've got mm. the nucleus of a team. Then yeah. you need a goal scorer, then you need, need that. Mm. But if you've got people that are consistently average or slightly above average you've got a chance in any football match yeah you're only as good as your as your weakest link i think and so you know playing teams it is about identifying who that is and trying to expose them as well on on, on the on the opposition but um yeah i mean it so so a team of gentlemen you know playing football the right that's way that's the attempt anyway. in, a, in, in, in a in a in a premier division of a sunday league um that must that must present challenges it does i mean this this season particularly has been quite hard we've we've come up against quite a lot of I would say violent players. aggression. Yeah, I was going to say Quite aggression. Well, it's actually gone beyond aggression because I would describe myself as a combative sort of player, 
and, and I will sort of play within the realms of a yellow card. You know, I'll give mm. as good as I get. You know, I'm not going to shirk a challenge or anything like that. But once it comes to a yellow, I'll, you know, if I get one, mm. which isn't often, I'll... I'll I can really see you talking your way out of it, uh, Dougal. I can see you sort of... Oh, I've sorry, also talked my way into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was that yeah. player. I was the one who committed the most cynical foul, you know, and then just, I'm so sorry, I can't... I'll try and talk my way out of it. Ultimately, I, it's, it's important that refs feel respected because they are the ones that make the game happen. Without mm. them, we don't have a game. Mm. And it, it is really important to me that the refs feel like we aren't going to question their every decision, rightly or wrongly. You know, we might say, oh, ref, that wasn't a throw-in or it was or whatever. But ultimately, does it matter? And the most important thing is that the ref feels supported by the players and not intimidated mm. and that they're making those decisions from a, from a clear p place. And um, I, it is actually really important to me. And I do find it difficult when, when faced with genuine violence mm. on, on the pitches and the refs don't see it so they can't give it everyone has a perception of what Sunday football means and it's, it's, it's fellas out of a pub who want to have a kick about yeah. and then you see some of the games and you see some of the players and you're going oh my god these boys can play you know, these fellas can play well it's not always that case but, the, but if we want to make it like yeah. that which is where we are so we've got a whole load of essentially county league players who are playing Sunday league because of, because of who we are because of mm. how we want to play the game you know, we do want we do want a good pitch. We do want to play technically. You know, we've got a couple of ex Brighton players. We've got a couple of players who played county league. We've got, you know, mm. you know, it's a very talented bunch of really, really wonderful guys. Where can we watch you and play, Dougal? Where can we come? Well, Fangirl will be there. At the moment, yeah. we're playing out at the Cayburn at Ringmer, yeah. and that pitch is. I mean, I've seen, I've seen Eastern European, you know, war sites which have a flatter <laughs> surface than than what we currently mm. play on. It, it really is rutted beyond. We'd be better off putting up a couple of uh, yeah. nets at Fulham. I mean, I was, I was uh, with, with my puppy Snoop. I was running around mauling down the, the, the Lewis Bridge. Pit, all the Lewis pitches around mauling this morning. Mm. And, you know, and, and like my, my, my Timberland went into a puddle and never come out at one stage. Yeah. I'm like, these aren't going to be playable for a while. And this is the problem. So grassroots football is struggling to actually find grassroots, yeah. you know, that we can actually play. I mean, on. I so noticed that. I mean, I spoke to you about my very successful, brief managerial career in Spain yeah, mm. with, with, with the children. But um, one of the things that was so, so I guess, the climate lends itself to it there but one of the beauties there uh, and that's for uh, adult football and junior football is that almost every town every conurbation every area would have a polydeportivo like a Lewis or an Upfield or a Ringma but there would be numerous 4G or 3G 4G whatever where whatever G we're on now pitches mm. there and you're playing till late in the evening you're playing in all weathers you know you've yeah. got that you've got and, and yeah you've got your nights, and, and that gives the consistency of matches yeah. and and you know and, and as much as uh, people say it's not it's not true to the game your ball familiarization and a lot of your coaching and yeah. techniques is better on an artificial yeah. surface i mean there are there are pros and cons i would love it if we had high quality grass pitches with yeah. with with floodlights there's nothing for me compares mm. to a grass pitch you won't get the same sort of hip and knee injuries on a grass no, pitch that, yeah, yeah. as you will on 3g but Having said that, yeah, I mean, I've spent some time playing in various different locations and, and I think actually having regular access to flat yeah. surfaces, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but that's why the, the main difference between Spanish football and English football is that in Spain you intercept passes and in England we tackle players. Yeah. Right? And when you tackle a player, it's much more interesting, it's much funner, it's high paced and so yeah. on. People get injured, both the tackler and the tackling get injured. In Spain, you intercept a pass, no one's getting injured. Mm. You know? And what that means is that then the tactics become more important. 
the, the foresight. Well, that's where Tiki Taki comes. Tiki Taki comes from. Tiki Taki, you can't you can't tackle Tiki Taka football. Mm. You have to intercept. And so, how do you intercept? Is another question that we don't really ask in English football. Mm. But the result of that is one: you don't get the same injuries. So Lionel Messi, the reason why he's able to put together a career like he has is because he's playing in yes, he's playing in Barcelona, but he's playing a different type of football, and he's taking his fair share of kickings. But if he was playing in, you know, as as a uh, as a was it Pulis or Allardyce would say, I would like to see him on a weird day in Burnley. Yeah, Burn, yeah, yeah. That old cliche. I see him away at Wigan on a wet Wednesday night. It's just for me. It's you know, I'm, yeah, I'm six foot. Say six that foot though. Three, I, 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 I watched Alex Messi play. Um, There's another Man of Barcelona game, and it, it was nearly. It should have been called off. It was one of those. You know, when you get the freak rains in Spain, mm. it was like you know the infrastructure's gone. The drains can't cope. The roads can't cope. You know, the bridges are falling down. But this game's on TV. It's worldwide TV. It's going ahead. Right. So. Um, we're we're a few minutes into the game, and um, I watched Javi was just like flicking it around, you know, mm. he was flicking it around, mm. and he's hit this ball to Messi, and again I'll, I'll visualise this for the visual bit, but he's hit a ball to Messi, and and it's the ball's coming to Messi like this, and the left back it's like a Stuart Pearce Pat Vanden Howe tackle, he's he, he's launched, he's coming two footed. From a good fifty, he's sliding towards yeah, Messi, yeah, yeah. and Messi's like caught the ball like that on his foot. He's seen him coming, he's flicked it up, jumped to the side. The geezer's gone. Like that, <laughs> he's caught it like this, Messi. But bent it with the outside of his left foot. Your mate is that hand. He's chested it, tried a volley that's gone really over the bar. But I, me, Harry, and him, we we're just there. It's like yeah, George. Because that happened. So imagine you're sitting alongside the pitch. We're like four rows from the front. That's almost happened. Where Callum is away from me, I'm got. I've never yeah. seen anything like that. Yeah, no, he's a special creature. And, and to compare any sort of footballer to, to, to Lionel Messi, who for me is the greatest of all time. Um, he's the is, GOAT is, to you, is he? Is, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, Ronaldo's in the next breath. But, um, but yeah, those guys, I mean, particularly Messi. I mean, you've his, not included Alexander Mitrovic in that. Uh, it's unbelievable that I would even think He's not made your top three. I can't, I can't believe it. <laughs> but no, actually, on, on Xavi, um, you know, as a, I've got three Barcelona shirts here. I've got the Dino That's era. the Xavi one, isn't it? Uh, they've got the Dino era, the Xavi era, and the, the oh, I've got Neymar on the back mm. of it, actually. But um, Xavi, he had this ability to put his foot on the board and pivot, and suddenly 10 yards of space would mm. open up around him. You know, and if he didn't have that space, it'd be one touch gone. The ball would come in, it'd be one touch gone, mm. back to someone else or back to the person it came to. It'd come back but to that, him. That's, but that one, that on one touch of the ball, one touch and And everyone just disappeared because they were like, well, we can't get near him. And Glenn, if we Hoddle, do, Glenn Hoddle used to do that. Yeah, yeah. Glenn Hoddle did well, Glenn that. Hoddle had the ability to run with it, didn't mm. he? Which Xavi didn't mm. really do. But there was some crazy stat as well about how many times Xavi passed the ball in front of the man it's going to. So and, perfectly and, and I have a player like that in my team called Ben Wade, and big shout out to Ben Wade because he's he's a man who I've played. You've just compared Ben Wade with, with Javi, so I mean he's going to be over the RV with this. He well, he's actually he, he and Anthony Herbert are more comparable to Iniesta, but um, but Ben okay, Wade has right, the, you know, both, either or I do, wouldn't it? Both of them have the ability yeah. to just pass this ball. I'm more comparable. In front of I'm you. more comparable to Carlton Palmer. Well, yes, yeah, so I've been referred <laughs> yeah, you got to Cotton Palmer's shot. Yeah, you got Cotton Palmer's shot there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Palmer <laughs> shot there. <laughs> Big uh, fan of what Cotton Palmer did. And actually, he was an influence on me in the early days. Cotton Palmer used to, you know, tall lad. I'm six foot three, have been for a long time. Rangy lad, open up the legs and drive with the ball. Mm. Give and go, get in the box, get a, get a goal. You know, you're talking about, about you know, Javi would, Javi would pir pir pirouette and he'd have that space and the, the other players would just give it, they'd pass it back, they'd move and give back. That's how they're coached as well. You know, they're yeah, coached yeah. to do that. I mean, it's frightening because because you do see, and there's there's a lot of players I see now coming through through academies, through systems, 
unless they are exceptionally talented, like a Ryan Sessegnon, mm. Link, or a, or a Foden, or you know, the, or, you know, that are exceptionally talented, they look overcoached. You know, they look overcoached in terms of certainly yes. in terms of what they're doing. Uh, we've got a player that we got from Southampton, Harrison Reed. Mm. Technically, he's he's got it all. But he's overcoached, and he, and and mm. you look at the ball. He can't do it. He, he wants to go sideways or backwards or, or play it easy. Yeah, the Joe Allen effect. I think you yeah, know, but the th- perfect example. The thing is about that is that when if you're trying to build a, a, a football team, as you were saying, you want you want five or six players in the team who are going to get you a six mm. and a seven every game. I, I mean, I love my Italian football and um, Quagriella. There's a whole uh, Luca Toni, Quagriella, and, and in fact, they were playing. He played for Fulham, didn't and he? Montella, Montella, Montella. Montella. Vincenzo Montella. Vincenzo Montella. What yeah. player is he? Played um, he played for Fulham. He played for Fulham. He played for Fulham on loan in Chrissy Coleman days. All these players, they came, they came he comes late. He doesn't game. like Chelsea. Montella. <laughs> oh, I mean, this is a repertoire of songs. <laughs> but the, the point being is that you know, like Ian Wright's a classic example. Players who, who, play, who started to play later on yeah, in their career. And well. therefore they haven't been coached and they are capable of the extraordinary. And they do things which you, you just can't account for. You just would never have guessed. Jamie Vardy's got that, hasn't he? Yeah, Jamie Vardy's yeah. got that, yeah. He was at... Fl- uh, Fl- Deli Alli as well, to be town. fair, is a bit, a bit unpredictable. He's Deli, not so much now. I think Deli Alli's one of the most overrated players yeah. in the Premier League. I just think, I just think he's actually... Mm. He should have sold him when he, was, he had that good season, because he had a good season. And he doesn't, The problem with Deli Alli, I do agree see, with you there, actually. Don't see him in an England um, shirt. But, don't I, see him in a Tottenham I, shirt. I don't know where he, what he does. And I had this conversation with Tottenham fans. So just tell me where he, where where's he fit? His best position is ten, and if he's your best ten, and you're trying to play and win the Premier League or be in the top yeah. four, I don't really see it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's easy for us in this position, not knowing what goes on in their lives, to, to make those sorts of calls, and that ultimately that's all we have to go on. But you know, seeing him last night, I mean, I watched a bit of the game against Leipzig. You know. I had that on for a bit, then I flicked on to a bit of Man City West Ham, then I just got bored with both. And um, well, I mean, Kevin De Bruyne is probably the most ententaining player I've, mm. I've actually seen. He's, I think he's he's inventing. He looks like passes. Prince Harry as well, doesn't he? I mean, well, he's, I often he's from do. the Flemish part of Belgium. I, I really I, think he looks like Prince Harry every time I see him play. Right. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna we're gonna we're stop going there on the football. Um, the props are amazing. I just want to talk about your management style. Who would you say you are most like as a football manager, oh, past or present? Uh, I don't know if I could truly say I have a style. Um, okay, I'll give you some examples. Are, are you like a Harry Redknapp or a, or a Pochettino or a special one Marino or hairdryer Fergie? Um, or even like, what about like Chris Wilder who gets his centre-half bombing I'd probably, on? I probably don't try and burden the lads with too much tactics at Sunday League so I am probably more of a Redlet. I try to talk to players and just say you know believe in yourself believe in each other we're here because we enjoy it go out there and enjoy yourself and, and try your best and uh, you know run your bollocks off for each other you know we've got to love defending we've got to love attacking we've got to support each other and keep the ball moving and mm. You know, I've, I saw well, an Brian, amalgamation Brian, of Brian all. Clough said, you know, look after the ball, look after each other and go and have fun, didn't they? Yeah, Brian, Brian Clough also said, if you don't know what to do with the ball in the final third, stick it in the back of the net and we'll talk about it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love that. Yeah. I love this. And it's easy to overcomplicate football. And I think when you get up towards the higher echelons, it, it is about complicating it because, you know, Julian Nagelsmann, he's 32 years old, he's just managed mm. the Champions League knockout game. You know, that guy's not there because he's saying, go out and enjoy yourself, guys. He's there because he's a tactical I, master. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Cowley brothers. Yeah. You know, I yeah. just really am. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just think that they, 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 they're, they're, they're media savvy. They're, you know, they're, yeah. everything's right about them. 
Um, they're working their way up from Greys to Lincoln to Huddersfield. You know, but yeah, everything's about respect. a team and what they're doing. I, mm. I think it's, it's very hard. You know, I, I, just, I, I just think that, that football management, um, we did a podcast about it, talking about the body manager. The challenges are completely different now. You've got yeah. to be TV gold like Klopp. Yeah, you've got to be yeah. intense like Pep. Klopp is amazing. You've got to be intense like Pep. You've got yeah. to have personality like Harry Redknapp. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. I can't watch to watch Summer with yeah. Sandbanks or whatever it is, what it's going to be on. Cause yeah. I feel like I know Harry. I've never met him in my life. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. So, so who would you compare really yourself with as a manager? Well, uh, uh, who would your players compare you with, if not you? Jeez, uh, oh, I don't know the answer to those. I'm probably not self-reflective enough to, <laughs> to no, give okay. you a true answer. But one of the things I will say is that uh, as a, you know, I'm a Brighton fan, um, which we haven't really touched on. But we will be. Right, okay. Um, but having Graham Potter in charge with Ashcroft as the director of football, mm. for, the ver- for the first time, I really feel like we have an identity. We have a real vision about how we want to play and, mm. and why we're playing. And it isn't easy. It isn't easy for a team who's recently established in the league to do that. And, and you know, I feel like Chris Hewton was sort of shown the back door a little bit, considering mm. what he did at Brighton, which was get us there, establish us there. And I will forever be grateful to Chris Hewton for doing that because Brighton are now Premier League. He, he's it's incredible. Su- he's, he's the Spanish small world. His son Leon worked work with me for a little while at Foyne Jones. Um, Leon was one of the most likeable, down to earth yeah. human beings. As was Chris. You I could think, yeah. ever, I mean, he was like that and more. Mm. So when you've got someone in your office whose godfather's Rosie Ardiles and Glenn Hoddle, right, you know, wow. and, and, and his stories would just captivate yeah. me for hours. As a recruiter, <laughs> you know, Leo won't mind me saying this, not best in class, right? Mm. Not best in class. And uh, we had to kind of agree that maybe working full time and being in recruitment and the pressure wasn't quite right for him. But as a person, mm. Someone you, you, you that, the stories were just unbelievable, yeah, unbelievable. This is it. A life in football will give you that. And I've never really sort of, you know, when I was a young lad, I wanted to be professional, of course. And and I at a certain stage, you know, was trying to decide, do I want to go down a more of a career of football, you know, looking at management as well. But but then I became an outdoor instructor and started mm. travelling the world, kayaking, rock climbing, cycling, all that sort of stuff. And and that gave me a whole new outlook on life. And I, I don't regret a moment of that. Uh, but certainly it did mean that I, I sort of never got the sort of football uh, because royalty. The, because because Dougal, Flem, Dougal Fleming, the adventurer, you know, the, the, the travel in the world, the, 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 the trekking. Sounds much grander when the, you say I that. Know, I know, I mean, I, I thought that sounded really grand, actually. <laughs> but, the, you know, we, we've, got, we've got everything you do. We've got a passion for football. We've got a zest for life and an energy which is, which is captivating. Um, we're going to move now onto the, onto the penalty shootout and we're going to start with some Brighton questions. This is the part of the show that everyone knows I like the most because I love recruiting for the KBB sector. I love talking to my guests about their stories and just understanding where they've started, where they are now. And unusually today, I'm blown away with a collection of football shirts. You know, it's been, it's been like a history lesson, a football lesson, a meeting of minds, a meeting of souls, and the passions come through from the very beginning. But on my penalty shootout, it's really easy. We asked you five football-related questions. Callum Church will decide whether you have scored or not. Um, there's no right or wrong answers. Out of five chances, I normally get one in. Yeah. So we start by saying um, Brighton Premier League, FA Cup final. Um, would you have took a penalty? 
Oh yeah. In the shootout. Oh god. Would yeah. you go first or would you go last? I'd go wherever I was put. Okay, I mean, I'd right. be delighted to take a penalty. Yeah. As I mean, a manager, would you not be picking yourself first? Or Matt Letizia said a penalty is the best chance you're going to get all game to score. I agree. And you just pick a side and you put it there. I agree. And and I remember playing the charity game at the Spiritual Home of Football, Craven Cottage, <laughs> and uh, I was I was in the <laughs> Foyne Jones. long name. I was in the, I was in the Foyne Jones team. Uh, I'd like to think I was in the Foyne Jones team. <laughs> I wasn't captain. John Foyne had the armband because he was a much better player much than better me. Player, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Neil Walcott and so much time, infuriating. But we uh, we got a penalty, and I was always going to take that penalty. So. Um, <laughs> I put it down and I invite my kids are in. And there was a, not a big crowd, but there was a few people there watching. It was a charity game for one of our clients and um, did what you said. I picked a spot, side foot, give it a whack. Mm. Keith went the right way. I went, oh no. But he pushed it in. So I was, uh, to yeah. me, the shirt was off. I was celebrating, you know. Yeah. I had the shirt trying to get over my head. I got tripped up, landed in the mud. Oh, but God, yes. I scored at Craven Cottage. That's all <laughs> That's I wanted to do. Well, so, to get, sorry, just a little caveat there and a real quick. We haven't started the shootout yet. Go on, go on. We played a penalty shootout the other day out in Seaford, uh, Kingston versus Physics, and it was one, one nil until the last minute of the game. Their captain dragged me down. Our captain, Ben Burgess, used to play for Brighton, steps up, side foot, top corner, keeper gets a hand, goes in, one all, straight to penalties. I'm in gold, by the way. I've gone in gold for the last 30 minutes of the game. So I'm in gold for the penalty shootout. Well, you're six foot eight. <laughs> the, first, the first four penalties gone to my left. I'm thinking they're going to go right eventually. I'm going to keep going right. No, no chance of that. So our, our, we score our four, they score their four. Our man steps up, keeper saves it easily. And uh, so the pressure's on, last penalty. I've got to say, this all we're out. Tucks it, I've just decided I'm going left. Dive left, catch the ball clean oh, to the left, right? Sudden death. Uh, my penalty next. So I step up, first penalty is sudden death. Bang it, side foot, bottom corner. Yes, going through. A couple more goals go in. And then this guy who'd been kicking me, who'd been, you know, in previous games, he, he's a you know nasty guy. Not particularly good footballer, but he made up for it in the kicks he'd give off the ball. <laughs> and so I really didn't like this character and he stepped up and I just said to him, oh, I would love to save this one. And of course, he's just put it down the right, and I've gone right, picked it up, saved it, hero. And that was the sort of drama that Sunday League can give you—a bit of lack of quality, but still so rich like, on drama. But there's nothing like winning a shootout. There's nothing, nothing like, like a shootout. Nothing there's like nothing it. like knowing you've scored as well. Yeah. I remember. I actually get sorry. After that, I gave him a, a, a demi Keown. Oh, I did you really? A demi oh, really? Keown. Yeah. Right, right in the face, was you? Not right no, in the face. Okay. That would have been that wouldn't be gentlemanly. No, that all. wouldn't have been. No. I just was so happy I couldn't hold it back. Yeah. And like you know, when you get kicked by someone, you no, don't react. No. Where you react to that football moment. My, my, so I was my about eldest, ten meters away. My, my eldest son plays a bit like uh, Alonso. You know, he's, he oh, yeah, he hits all the Hollywood passes. He's mm. a really great player, but really lazy. Mm. Uh, and and for me, I was all about hard work. Yeah. So yeah. so he infuriates me because he's got so much ability. He hit a Hollywood pass. Mm. You know, curl one in the top corner, but just got no work rate and lots of mouth. Um, he was in a cup final, and they were playing at. Uh, He's grid steered or no Horsham, I think they're playing. Yeah. It was a you know a Sunday League Cup final when it went to a shootout and he was penalty taker, didn't miss many. And I remember watching him walk up and like he kissed the ball, give it the you old know, flipped his hair back, put the ball down, I thought, oh my no. god, he's gonna miss. I can't no. have it. I I I walked out, I did it go the other way, heard a bit of a cheer, I'd heard a few more cheers, but well no one's come out yet. I went back in. Spoke to my mate's, uh, his mate Max's dad, Freddie, he was the head chef at Bill's, French Freddie. Oh, yeah. yeah, so I said, Freddie, what happened? He went, 
Oh, he just put it in the bottom corner, no problem. I went, oh, God, you score. And he come off and they won it, and I went, like, if you'd have, I didn't, I forgot they'd won, then he got man of the match. I wasn't interested in that. I went, if you'd have missed that after kissing the ball and pushing your hair back, I'd never <laughs> forgive you. But when you score, it doesn't matter, does it? When you score, it Can we start the shootout now? Go. Okay. Why are you a seagull? Born and bred. Local team. First game I watched, yeah, Brighton Hull, and I'm, with my brother and my dad. And, uh, and it was 4-1 and incidentally the next game I went to see with my Brighton and my dad with my brother and dad was England-Holland 4-1 in the uh, year 96? no year 96 I was at that game were you? I was at that game behind the goal mate yeah I was at that game I, I, was, I, was, behind, I was behind the goal when Gaza scored in the uh, England Scotland game I went to all of the games and um, wow. I had the pleasure or displeasure Dougal, of sitting next to the German fans in the um, the um, semi-final and, and I, 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 I still feel the pain now that was the greatest summer ever, wasn't it, you and oh, I I loved it. So, as a Brighton fan, who is your favourite player, past or present? Question number two, or penalty number two. Uh, um, favourite player, past or present? Well, I'm inclined to say Lewis Dunk, because he is genuinely one of our own. You know, he's been through the whole academy and he's wearing the armband of Brighton in the Premier League. In so England my, shirt, though, in England shirt as well, He's, he's worn an England shirt, and... Mm. and and I think that breaks down barriers for, for players of our area. Mm. Solly March, the same, you know, to have really one of our own be there. And I think he represents a sort of so new, Louis, Louis a new generation of player, yeah. Lewis Dunk, okay. Um, as a Brighton fan, and I know you've, you've got well teams and you're, you're, and you're completely there, but as a Brighton fan, what would be your best moment? I was at the Wigan game when we got promoted. Promoted to the Premier League? Yeah, and that was special. Pitch invasion... The whole team celebrating Tony Bloom, you know, giving it the big one, which he'd well earned. Probably going to be my most special moment. I mean, I was young when they got to the cup, uh, so I don't really remember it. But okay, so, so, so far in the shootout, just to summarise for Callum, Brighton are his local team, and that's why he's a Brighton slap, slap fan, forward slash Leeds, Roma, <laughs> Florentina, um, Manchester United, fans that, Argentina, can, can yeah, feel the plastic yeah, nature AC of my support. That's, that's, why he's, that's why he's a Brighton fan. Um, Favourite player, Lewis Dunk, he's one of, one of their own. Um, best moment as a fan was promotion to the top flight. As a player, describe the best goal you've ever scored. New Haven's ground. We're playing White Hart. For, for those who don't know, that's like White Hart Lane. Yeah, yeah it's like Wembley. <laughs> Yeah. White Hart Lane on the south coast. Yeah. Quick trip over to Dieppe. We import all our players. No, um, New Haven so we're, we're so it's, it's Yeah, it's a, it's a Sunday League Cup final. And we've, we've come up against White Hart, who haven't lost a game in three years. They are the top, top dogs. They're a really, really good so they're side. They're the Invincibles of the Sunday League. They're the Invincibles of the Sunday League. And we've had you know, numerous battles against them where we've outplayed them, but they've got... This, this this baby elephant up front who scores for fun, a hat-trick a game. Doesn't matter if you mark him tight for 85 minutes. Walton will knock three in. <laughs> it's so frustrating. But so anyway, we'd started to peg them back. We got a couple of draws against them. And, the, and they'd won every game of the season, bar the one we'd drawn against them. Comes to the cup final. We'd won a cup final the week before, 4-1 or 4-0. And, um, and then it came to the, the, uh, the big one. And... Um, we had our best team out and Ben Wade drifting in off the right hand side in the middle of the pitch I've like in a bit of space give it to me give it to me he holds on to it and I've seen their captain come towards me their centre back and I've just gone 
Wadey slid the ball between the centre-backs and I'm stepping onto it. No need to take a first touch. Side foot, bottom corner, back of the net. 2-0 like after an Alfie Major goal in the first time. And, uh, Big and that, shout out to Ben Wade, Alfie Major. I feel like I feel like there's Javi and. Well, there's, um, no Tony Herbert. Tony Herbert's yeah. the Busquets of that. Okay. He needs credit so, so, as well. So Tony Herbert's Busquets, Busquets. Ben Wade's Javi. Is that right, Nesta? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, is, I mean, yeah. it's, it's Barca. It's Barca yeah, it's stuff. Barca. Yeah, and uh, and then and then that was greeted by the full Robbie Keane. So cartwheel to forward roll and guns, <laughs> which is my big celebration if I score a good goal. <laughs> poor, poor Dennis Adoy a few weeks ago for Fulham thought he scored. He'd done like a quadruple backflip and it was um, it was disallowed. It wasn't, it wasn't VAR, it was just like the flag was up. You know, it was a. Uh, oh, we no. don't get VAR in no, the championship. No, no, don't need okay, it. so Best I've got, for, 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 for the money, for the, for the big penalty at the end, we, we, we summarise all four and then we go to the last one. Brighton are a local team, Lewis Dunk's one of your own, getting promoted, the goal at New Haven Town in the Sunday League Cup final. Would you prefer to have glory this season with your with Kingston Village FC? That's mm-hmm. right, isn't it? With Kingston yeah. Village FC doing the double, or would you like to see Brighton next year win the FA Cup? I'm going to have to say Kingston. Fair play, yeah. I'm going to have to say Kingston because I've, I, you know, I love football, but I've always been about playing it. Callum, I, I'm going to score this shootout for you. <laughs> okay. I, I, well, I'm gonna, I, I'm, you go first how many would you give him out of that out of five okay, I'm giving him four out of five because I reckon Thank that, that goal was a tapping you know what I mean my god there's actually on camera I'll send you uh, a okay, all right. I'll send you know, if, if you've got if you've got photographic evidence we'll give you five I mean, out of five wrong, don't get me wrong the pass the pass was, a, was an 11 out of 10 he's giving credit a, I mean, the finish is a 7 you know yeah. was, I, like, I couldn't have really missed it was it yeah. like was it like when Nugent nicked the goal off the phone and celebrated like he <laughs> won the, the World Cup yeah uh, no. No, okay. No, it was a bit better. Dougal, that was an absolutely magnificent penalty shootout. Thank, Thank you. very much. Dougal, Alexander Fleming, you have been an absolute outstanding best in class guest from I, I forget series one guest forget series two you've trumped the lot this has been an absolutely oh, brilliant episode Callum you have got some work to do editing this you might end up with three podcasts you might end up with one it might be a, a long one with extra time I don't know what you want to do but extra what, time and penalties yeah extra time and penalties at the end there you go what a guest um, take a couple of minutes Dougal and just the floor is yours the stadium is yours Close the show, telling us whatever you want to do about Alistair Fleming. Um, well, firstly, thank you very much for turning up, for buying a ticket, for being here. It's been a real, real privilege um, to have you here. It really is. Um, essentially, Alistair Fleming Kitchens is the representation of what I spend a lot of my time doing and a lot of all of us spend our time doing and investing our energy into it. And what I'm learning about it is that Every different person who's part of it brings in their own perspective, their own way of seeing the world and their own skill set. And essentially what my role really is in between all of that is to try and find where all of our strengths are and to put us in our roles so that we can best realise our, our strengths every day in those positions. And, and that's the same as football. It does cross over. You know, it's about knowing what attributes you have and what limitations you have and, and limiting your exposure to those limitations and really you know, putting energy in those right directions. And it's not an easy thing to do. So I am a 
I'm a networker, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a meter of people, I'm a lover of people. I genuinely believe that every single person is the best in the world at something. And throughout your That's life... a lovely fault. You it's have to work fault. hard to find out what you're the best at. And like listening to the last episode with Phil um, and... Uh, Lena. Lena, yeah. I, I was realising that, you know, sometimes that journey is, is really... There's a lot of barriers... For, for people to get there and and I, I do try to to practice gratitude every day for the opportunities that I've had available to me through my mother and father and wider family for which you know nothing else matters to me than my family than, than Mia and the kids and and my wider family my aunties and uncle and, and cousins and so on and having that network around me and 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 whatever the network might be around any of us I guess it's, it's, it's all about being able to lean on that and, and knowing that in your hour of need that there'll, there'll be someone there. And even if you, if, if you don't need, you know, that ability to have a perspective of life that is informed and enriched by other people around you. And, you know, going through some of the transitions that we have a as a country have gone through, I'm, I'm acutely aware that there are deep divisions in our society. And, and that it sort of upsets me quite a lot because actually it's a case of trying to bridge mm. those divisions and you know we might not agree politically or or, or sort of sociologically but where do we agree and how do we I, I don't think that? I don't think the four people in this room would agree politically socially you know emotionally on on lots of different things but you can you can get on and no. you can do it you said something there about about the podcast with Phil and and I was listening to it back um, earlier today and, and in the car and and one of the things he said about you know some of the problem with offenders and gangs is the is the lack of a role model you mm. know the lack of a male role model mm. in particular and one of the first people who come out of the the Ross Kent Belmarsh thing is going to set up a gym up in Salford and you know but 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 you know I kind of grew up without a role model myself and and I get that I think the values that this business offers and the the way you know the, the way you interact with your father and the just your values. You, you're going to be a role model for anyone wanting to come into this sector, but you're also a role model in terms of how to, operate, how to run a football team, how to be a player, how to have fun, and probably how to have enjoy, enjoy life, mate. You've been a brilliant guest, and uh, I, I, I honestly, I've stole your thunder a little bit, but you know, I could not, I've got to say, <laughs> I, emphasize, I echo everything he says. Claire's your number one fan. <laughs> Cannon's been nodding, 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 nodding brilliantly. I'm going to end this podcast because I know this bit's embarrassing for you. You don't want to big yourself up. But if you're in Lewis or if you're in Sussex or in the south of England and you're passing, people need to walk into this old pet shop because it's yeah. an amazing Alistair Fleming experience. Yeah, stop by and come and have a look and, and discuss your project. You know, I'll happily give anybody who walks through the door um, 10, 15, 20 minutes uh, if I've got it about talking about the project and, and about recommendations because I'm acutely aware that not everybody can necessarily afford what we do, but um, I'm far more inclined to talk to somebody face-to-face -face than I am to sort of answer a question online about mm. what paint colour is that or something like that. And, and I really enjoy, mm. you know, people just, just, just rifting and, um, uh, yeah, and, and finding out who, who, who you are well listen we, I, I started this podcast by asking a question I'm going to answer it I'm going to ask, going to ask it and answer it again it won't be as funny but I now know what you get if you put a Louisian a DFL in a, be in a beautiful kitchen showroom you get podcast gold this has been an absolutely <laughs> outstanding episode Dougal thank you so much mate thank you Peter Top thank man. you Callum Shane. So that's the end of the show. Thanks for listening. 
You can find out more about Foyne Jones by visiting our website or connecting with me on LinkedIn. We are Foyne Jones. This is what we do. Thank you.